welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Katherine Drinkett. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Today, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Lasordo here with us to speak on advances being made in cell therapy for chronic disease. Welcome. Thank you. So I figured I'd start off with some background. Um, Dr. Lasordo became the chief medical officer at Neostem back in August 2013. His prolific career has focused on developing novel therapeutics that are research-based and translating them into the clinic, primarily in the field of cardiology. His past positions Uh, include most recently Vice President of New Therapies, Development, uh, Regenerative Medicine, Baxter Ventures at Baxter International, and then previously before that, Director of the Feinberg Cardiovascular Research Institute at Northwestern University. So I was hoping you could start us off briefly with providing some background on how you made this transition from cardiologist to chief medical officer. Sure, I'm happy to, to do that. My career started out in clinical medicine. That's something I was always passionate about. I uh, love taking care of patients, and that, that individual one-to-one relationship with a patient is really a very remarkable, unique gift, I would say. And very quickly, it became apparent to me that while modern medicine offered many things for patients, that there was an unserved population of patients that was either resistant to or not eligible for therapies that were available. And these folks, unfortunately, were relegated to a life of you know, either pain or disability due to their disease. And that led me to seek answers. How can we make the lives of these patients better by developing new therapies? And so my laboratory focus, as you mentioned, was really on identifying possible new therapies, developing them into the lab, to the point where they might then be tested in patients. And and in my career in academia, we did just that. We had a small group, we could call it a little biotech company in the university that was there to begin to incubate these ideas into novel therapies and to begin to test them in early stage clinical studies. And we had some success along those lines. And that success led to advancing these therapies along to the point where they really had to be developed uh, in, in a different setting. You know, in universities, medical schools are not really designed or, or were not designed to fully develop therapies and that's really where pharmaceutical or biotech companies come in. And so because my aim was to fully develop these therapies at the point where they were approved and available to patients in a widespread way, it seemed to me that I really needed to learn what those moves were. How, how, is that pro- how does that process work? And, and that led to my move from academia to industry to continue to develop not only the individual therapies that I was working on, but also the skill sets needed to, to fully execute that paradigm of clinical development to the point of approval. And I noticed in your CV, it seemed like you then went back and actually got a business degree. Did you need that to help make that transition, or how did that help facilitate? You know, it was interesting. You know, at that time, uh, I was at Northwestern, which has a great business school in addition to a great medical school and a great engineering school, uh, and, a, and Chicago, as you know, is a big business community. 
and and so one of the things that the school offered, because of its, I think, the recognition of Northwestern that the academic world was changing and that part of the success of an academic medical center should actually involve propelling new therapies and maybe developing new companies out of those new therapies. And so they offered a course that was uh, called Business for Scientists and Engineers. Mm-hmm. And so it was really tailored to the science and engineering community at Northwestern to give them a bit of the vocabulary that would be required to advance their ideas along a business path. So it was a, it was a great innovation at the school that, that was offered. The position at Neostem as chief medical officer is kind of the culmination of, of all my years of training, applying my clinical know-how, my de- development expertise, and when I say development, developing new therapies, uh, a little bit of that business at Acumen, although there are you know, people much, much more business savvy <laughs> than me at Neostem, I can assure you, but in a setting where not only is the company completely focused on cell-based medicine, that is the idea that that we can do things with cells, mostly a patient's own cells, to change the course of diseases, and is really a, a aggressively pursuing that agenda, and also out looking for new technologies to continue that uh, that development paradigm. Okay. Great. We know that NeoStem is a leader in emerging cellular therapy industry, where your goal is to develop cell-based therapies that can prevent, treat, or cure disease. Could you explain to our non-scientific audience more about how cell-based therapies work? Sure, absolutely. So I'll say that I really started out my career in therapeutic development uh, in the realm of gene therapy. And the idea of gene therapy, at least as we were practicing it, was to say, we know that the body has certain capabilities to repair itself. So let's try to figure out the mechanisms that the body employs to repair tissue. Look for the genes that are expressed when damage is repaired, and let's take those genes and, and overexpress them in damaged tissue and see if we can get the body to repair itself. So on the one hand, it, it is trying to learn a lesson from nature, but on the other hand, it requires the scientist to say, okay, I'm gonna pick the right gene uh, that's going to be the one that, that has the most robust effect on tissue repair. Cell-based medicine says sort of the same thing, that the body has a tissue repair capability, but instead of having to pick a single gene that's expressed, we look at cells that are used by the body to repair damaged tissue. And the advantage that a cell has, I would say two things. One is a cell can express many different proteins and genes, so really a repertoire of scores, if not hundreds, of different factors that are released by cells in damaged tissue, number one. And number two, a cell can go into the tissue and actually listen to the environment, react to the environment, and change the repertoire of things that it does in that damaged tissue environment to propagate the repair process. So my first foray into cell therapy was with a cell type that we learned was naturally mobilized from the bone marrow in the setting of injury, naturally recruited into damaged tissue, and, and that we showed when you deployed those cells into damaged tissue, 
the tissue ended up with a better repair result. So rather than trying to figure out specific proteins or genes that are expressed, we let really this naturally pre-programmed cell do the work for us. And so the entire field of cell therapy is based on leveraging what I would say is uh, pre-programmed repair capabilities. So I like to say, you know, the manufacturer pre-installed some repair programs in our bodies, and we're just trying to identify, you know, what are the cells responsible for those repair programs? Let's take those cells, concentrate them, and deploy them into tissues that we think need to be repaired. So, you know, the examples of that are this heart attack program that we have at NeoStem using the C34 cell as the natural tissue repair cell in the setting of a heart attack, and then some other programs looking at modulating the immune system to prevent autoimmunity or another cell that is being used to, to treat cancer in, in, in advanced cancer patients. Great. That actually transitions quite nicely into where I'd like to go next. So during your talk today, which was entitled Cell Therapy for Chronic Disease, is disease modification possible? You highlighted three different diseases where cell therapy is currently being applied in clinical trials. These included cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and cancer. I was wondering if you could go into a little bit more of some of the findings in those clinical trials, because I'm sure some of our listeners um, have interest in, in any one of these disease uh, indications. Sure, absolutely. CD34 cell program is a program looking at the CD34 cell and its ability to repair what we call ischemic tissue. What's ischemic tissue? It means tissue where the blood supply has been interrupted so that the tissue is damaged. Heart attacks, lower extremity ischemia, critical limb ischemia, amputation, heart failure, all of these conditions are unified by a lack of an adequate blood supply. And the CD34 cell has been shown to be the cell that is responsible for the repair and maintenance of the, of the blood supply into tissue. And so we've done, NeoStem has done several and others have done studies of CD34 cell therapy to repair heart failure, critical limb ischemia, heart attack damage, damage that occurs in the setting of blocked leg arteries. And in each of those cases, the cell-treated patients have shown benefit. Safety, uh, that is, patients have a safer outcome, fewer adverse events, and better function, better heart muscle function, better walking ability, less pain. All these things have been demonstrated in phase one and phase two studies using that, that C34 cell therapy approach. And in those phase one, phase two studies, <clears throat> do you have the CD34 therapy paired with a current best care? Absolutely. So the only way to really establish that these therapies are beneficial is they have to be added on to current state-of-the-art care. So the study design is everybody comes in getting best possible medical treatment. They have had all the, you know, if they're eligible for bypass surgery, they've had it. If they're eligible for an angioplasty, they've had it. They're on the optimum set of medicines for their condition, and then they're randomized to receive a dose of their own cells. And it's important to mention that the cells that we're using here aren't, you know, from somebody else. They're the patient's own cells. So we collect the cells from the patients, purify them down to the fraction that we want, 
and then re-administer them into the target tissue. So we're concentrating the patient's own cells into the area of damage in the hope of repairing damage. But right, the therapy is tested as an add-on to best, currently best medical therapy. And I think I remember from your talk today, didn't you see, I think it was like a two-year after follow-up, where there was a substantial increase in the recovery rate right. um, no, so that, following that's these one patients. Of the, one of the remarkable things about this, this experience so far is that even though we're so far, and this may not always be the case, but so far we've just given a single dose of cells in all of these proof-of-concept studies, so it's a very careful, methodical development path, and so we want to make sure that we establish safety, so we're giving single doses and following patients out long-term to make sure there's no unexpected, unwanted events that occur. But we continue to follow the patients for beneficial effects, too, and right, so after a single administration of cells in patients who had chronic refractory chest pain, angina, from blocked coronary arteries, treated patients had significantly less chest pain than the control subjects, better walking times, uh, better functional capacity, and, and I, could, I could go on, but you know, somehow it seems like a single administration of these cells actually has fairly long-lived uh, beneficial effects. Yeah. Another example you mentioned diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, and we are about to embark on a, on a phase two study of something called the T regulatory cell, regulatory T cell. The T cells are the immune cells in the body. There are effector cells that are there to attack foreign antigens. So if you get a cold virus, if you get a pneumonia bacteria, the T cells are there to go in and gobble up the, the virus, kill the bacteria, and and purge your system of these foreign antigens. In the setting of autoimmunity, like type 1 diabetes, something goes out of balance in the immune system, and the regulatory cells fail to prevent the effector cells from attacking self-antigens. So now uh, the immune system is attacking tissues in your own body, and in the case of type 1 diabetes, that's the pancreatic beta islet cells. So we're testing the ability of a, a booster dose, if you will, of these regulatory T cells to calm down the attack of the effector cells on the pancreas and preserve pancreatic function. Interestingly, there's already phase one data, both from a study done here in the United States and a study done in Poland, that have shown that these cells are safe to administer. Don't, are not associated with any unwanted side effects, and that there's evidence of stabilization and preservation of, of pancreatic function. That was particularly noted in children who were treated in the Polish study, in which the compared to a control group, pancreatic function was better, the need for insulin use was lower, and in fact, 20% of the kids in the study who were on insulin were able to come off insulin after a single dose of their own regulatory T cells administered back into their body. So we're, you know, we're very interested in now pursuing this, uh, this approach in the United States in kids with recent onset type 1 diabetes. What, what I think is pretty incredible is just a single dose ends up having long-lasting effects. Right. Um, yeah, so the, the induction of tolerance in the immune system is something that, of course, you know, normally our bodies are permanently tolerant of our own antigens, right? I mean, we don't, immune systems don't normally attack 
our own antigens. And so there's a state of permanent tolerance that's been induced uh, in our bodies. And autoimmunity, whether it's type 1 diabetes, lupus, you know, you can name a number of diseases, that mechanism, that balance is disturbed. And, and so we're hopeful that with a single or maybe a couple of doses of, or booster doses of T-Rex, that that balance will be reestablished and, and hopefully on a permanent basis. We'll only know uh, when we start to embark on these studies. The Polish data is encouraging because they showed a persistent benefit out to a year uh, after one or two doses of, of the T-Rex. Maybe if you could just comment on the work being the done on work. cancer. Right, so this is the work of an oncologist named Bob Dillman who works out of California, and Bob had an idea 20-something years ago, oh, a couple of very novel concepts that he thought of. One was that he hypothesized that tumors were able to survive and metastasize and ultimately kill you by virtue of a core population of cells that was poorly differentiated, very active, very able to proliferate and migrate and metastasize into different places in the body and was actually pretty resistant to chemotherapy and things like that. So that was concept number one. Concept number two was that the tumor cells in melanoma patients had a lot of mutations. You know, melanomas due to exposure to the sun, mutations that are caused by ultraviolet radiation. And because of that mechanism of mutagenesis, he hypothesized that the antigens, the proteins that are expressed in melanomas would be very different from patient to patient. And so he wanted to devise an immune-mediated therapy. He wanted to train the patient's immune system to attack the specific antigens of that core population of tumor cells, the so-called tumor-initiating cells. So he devised a therapy that required A, taking out a tumor metastasis and growing up that cell line, the tumor-initiating cell line, because he thought that's the lethal part of the tumor. And then training the patient's immune system to attack the antigens, the mutated antigens of that cell line. So he took patient's immune system cells, mixed them with the tumor cells, so now those immune system cells would see those antigens and go back into the body and attack those antigens when they found them around in the tumors. And so he did a series of studies over the course of 10 years, and the final, the most recent of which showed more than a doubling of the two-year survival of these melanoma patients that were treated with this vaccine. Uh, and so, again, it's, it, it really is using the patient's own immune system now, but training it specifically against the antigens of the lethal part of the tumor. So far, so good with the phase two study, and we're about to embark on phase three of that therapy in patients with very advanced metastatic melanoma. Great, yeah, that's really exciting. We know that Neostem's vision is to reduce lifetime dependency on pills to a single dose of cells and help society reduce the burden of an unsustainable healthcare system. Can you predict how long it will take to reach this vision and what will be the first therapies to achieve this goal? Um, I'll, I'll have to go into my briefcase <laughs> and get out my crystal ball and fire it up. But, you know, the good news is that there's been a lot of very good science uh, in the field of cell therapy, and very gradual, methodical progress has been made through phase one and phase two studies. I'm actually hopeful, of course, that our, our melanoma cell therapy will be one of those early approvals. We're starting a phase three study that we hope we'll have an answer from in the next three to four years, and so that could be 
a very early success. There are some other therapies out there that are being tested in phase three studies, and they, they might be sooner entry. So we're really talking now in the neighborhood of, you know, let's say, three to five years, where we would expect to have results from phase three studies and hopefully some approvals, you know, some of those first approvals in the field of cell therapy to, to treat and reverse chronic diseases. So we're not talking about you know, science fiction or fantasy anymore. We're really talking about real truth therapeutic development with some really near-term, what I would call near-term milestones. From the studies that you talked about, it really makes me think we're at an age of personalized medicine and that cell therapy is really that personalized medicine because you're taking the patient's own cells and you're using those for, for the cure for, for a particular disease. I've heard that term used so many times, but I think it really relates to the type of therapies that you're talking about right now with cellular therapy, which is pretty exciting. In conclusion, we'd like you to provide our audience with a key take-home message that, that they should take away from this podcast. And so I would say that, you know, medicine has gone through several evolutions, right? I mean, there was really a time when medicine actually offered very little other than, you know, TLC. And, and TLC is great. Don't get me wrong. It's, uh, it's an important part of the, of the practice of medicine. And we've, we've lived through a long period, a very productive period, of being able to, to develop drugs to treat diseases. And I would say, you know, among the biggest breakthroughs uh, was the development of antibiotics, right? I mean, pneumococcal pneumonia used to be a uniformly lethal condition. And now it's, it's extraordinarily rare for somebody to die from pneumococcal pneumonia because we have penicillin and other drugs that, that take care of the bacteria. So that transformed, you know, disease, a disease process. Infectious diseases now are a lot largely treatable, even AIDS, right? Previously, a uniformly lethal condition is now a chronic condition. So it's a great example of, of how drug therapy has transformed our lives for better. Life expectancy is longer, productivity is higher, uh, quality of life is is off the charts, right? It's better to be a middle-class person in 2014 than it would have been to be the king of England in 1500, right? I mean, it's just, there's no comparison. Now we're, we're faced with longer life expectancies, but with chronic diseases that really plague folks in, in the later years of life. But we're presented with an opportunity, uh, and I would liken it to really the, what happened with antibiotics, where you know, infectious diseases became treatable conditions. And I think we're faced now by leveraging natural biology. We don't have to invent drugs. We're just looking at, at the natural repair capabilities of our own bodies to transform chronic diseases into reversible conditions. So a heart attack doesn't have to be heart failure anymore. Cancer doesn't have to be lethal anymore. Type 1 diabetes doesn't have to exist anymore if we catch it early enough. So I think that's really what we're looking about is getting rid of some of these scourges and, and really turning the clock back so that people don't have to live with chronic conditions. Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter 
at WFirm News.